0: 17. New armies, which have lately been under the critical scrutiny of skilled observers, are fast realizing all our most sanguine hopes. A war carried on upon this gigantic scale and under conditions for which there is no example in history is not always or every day a picturesque or spectacular affair. Its operations are of necessity in appearance slow and dragging. Without entering into strategic details, I can assure the committee that with all the knowledge and experience which we have now gained, His Majesty's government had never been more confident than they are today in the power as well as the will of the Allies to achieve ultimate and durable victory. Cheers. I will not enter in further detail to what I may call the general military situation, but I should like to call the attention of the Committee for a few moments to one or two aspects of the war which of late have come prominently into view. I will refer first to the operations which are now in progress in the Dardanelles. Cheers. It is a good rule in war to concentrate your forces on the main theater and not to dissipate them in disconnected and sporadic adventures, however promising they may appear to be. That consideration, I need hardly say, has not been lost sight of in the councils of the Allies. There has been and there will be no denudation or impairment of the forces which are at work in Flanders, and both the French and ourselves will continue to give them the fullest, and we believe the most effective, support, nor what is equally important, has therefore the purpose of these operations been any weakening of the Grand Fleet, cheers, the enterprise which is now going on, and so far has gone on in a manner which reflects, as I think the House will agree, the highest credit on all concerned, was carefully considered and conceived with very distinct and definite objects political, strategic, and economical. Some of these objects are so obvious as not to need statement and others are of such a character that it is perhaps better for the moment not to state them. Laughter and cheers. But I should like to advert for a moment, without any attempt to forecast the future. Due to features in this matter, the first island that it once more indicates and illustrates the close company operation of the Allies in this case the French and ourselves in the new theater and under somewhat dissimilar conditions to those which had hitherto prevailed and to acknowledge what I am sure the House of Commons will be most ready to acknowledge, that the splendid contingent from the French Navy that our allies have supplied Cheers is sharing to the full both the hazards and the glory of the enterprise. Cheers. The other point on which I think it is worthwhile to dwell for a moment is that this operation shows in a very significant way the copiousness and the variety of our naval resources. Cheers. In order to illustrate that remark, Take the names of the ships which had actually been mentioned in the published dispatches, the Queen Elizabeth, cheers, the first ship to be commissioned of the newest type of what are called super dreadnoughts, with guns of power and range never hitherto known in naval warfare. Cheers. Side by side with her is the Agamemnon, the immediate predecessor of the Dreadnought, and in association with them the Triumph, the Cornwallis, the Irresistible, the Vengeance, and the Albion representing, I think I am right in saying. Three or four different types of the older pre-dreadnought battleship which have been so foolishly and so prematurely regarded in some quarters as obsolete or negligible all bringing to bear the power of their formidable 12-inch guns on the fortifications, with magnificent accuracy and with deadly effects. Cheers! When, As I have said, these proceedings are being conducted, so far as the Navy is concerned, without subtraction of any sort or kind from the strength and effectiveness of the Grand Fleet. I think a word of congratulation is due to the Admiralty for the way in which it has utilized all its resources. Cheers. I pass from that to another new factor in these military and naval operations the so-called German blockade of our coasts. Cheers. I shall have to use some very plain language. Cheers. I may, perhaps, preface what I have to say by the observation that it does not come upon us as a surprise. Cheers. This war began on the part of Germany with the cynical repudiation cheers of a solemn treaty on the avowed grounds that when a nation's interests required it, right and good faith must give way to force. Here, here, the war has been carried on, therefore, with a systematic not an impulsive or a casual but a systematic violation of all the conventions and practices by which international agreements had sought to mitigate and to regularize the clash of arms, cheers, she has now, I will not say reached a climax. For we do not know what may yet be to come, but she has taken a further step without any precedent in history by mobilizing and organizing not upon the surface but under the surface of the sea a campaign of piracy and pillage. Prolonged cheers. Are we can we here I address myself to the neutral countries of the world are we to or can we sit quiet as though we were still under the protection of the restraining rules and the humanizing usages of civilized warfare? Cheers. We think we cannot. Cheers. The enemy. Borrowing what I may, perhaps, for this purpose call a neutral flag from the vocabulary of diplomacy. Describe these newly adopted measures by a grotesque and puerile perversion of language as a blockade. Laughter. What is a blockade? A blockade consists in sealing up the war ports of a belligerent against seaborne traffic by encircling their coasts with an impenetrable ring of ships of war. Cheers. Where are these ships of war? Cheers. Where is the German Navy? Cheers. What has become of those gigantic battleships and cruisers on which so many millions of money have been spent and in which such vast hopes and ambitions have been invested? I think, if my memory serves me, they have only twice during the course of these seven months been seen upon the open sea. Their object in both cases was the same murder, cheers, civilian outrage, and wholesale destruction of property in undefended seaside towns and on each occasion when they caught sight of the approach of a British force they showed a clean pair of heels, and they hurried back at the top of their speed to the safe seclusion of their minefields and their closely guarded forts, Lord R. C. Cecil not all, laughter, Mr. A. S. Q. U. I. D. H. No, some hand misadventures on the way, here, here, and laughter, the plain truth is the German fleet is not blockading, cannot blockade, and never will blockade our coasts, I propose now to read to the Committee the statement which has been prepared by His Majesty's Government and which will be public property tomorrow. It declares, I hope in sufficiently plain and unmistakable terms, the view which we take, not only of our rights, but of our duty. Cheers! Germany has declared that the English Channel, the north and west coasts of France, and the waters around the British Isles are a, war area, and has officially notified that all enemy ships found in that area will be destroyed and that neutral vessels may be exposed to danger. This island in effect, a claim due to torpedo at sight, without regard to the safety of crew or passengers, any merchant vessel under any flag, as it is not in the power of the German Admiralty to maintain any surface craft in these waters, the attack can only be delivered by submarine agency. The law and custom of nations in regard to attacks on commerce had always presumed that the first duty of the captor of a merchant vessel is to bring it before a prize court, where it may be tried, and where the regularity of the capture may be challenged, and where neutrals may recover their cargoes. The sinking of prizes is in itself a questionable act, to be resorted to only in extraordinary circumstances and after provision has been made for the safety of all the crew or passengers if there are passengers on board. The responsibility for discriminating between neutral and enemy vessels, and between neutral and enemy cargo, obviously rests with the attacking ship, whose duty it is to verify the status and character of the vessel and cargo and to preserve all papers before sinking or even capturing the ship. So, also, is the humane duty to provide for the safety of the crews of merchant vessels, whether neutral or enemy, an obligation on every belligerent. It is on this basis that all previous discussions of the law for regulating warfare at sea have proceeded. The German submarine fulfills none of these obligations. She enjoys no local command of the waters in which she operates. She does not take her captures within the jurisdiction of a prize court. She carries no prize crew which she can put on board the prize she seizes. She uses no effective means of discriminating between a neutral and an enemy vessel. She does not receive on board. For safety. The crew of the vessel she sinks. Her methods of warfare are, therefore, entirely outside the scope of any of the international instruments regulating operations against commerce in time of war. The German declaration substitutes indiscriminate destruction for regulated capture. Cheers! Germany is adopting these methods against peaceful traders and non-combatant crews with the avowed object of preventing commodities of all kinds, including food for the civil population from reaching or leaving the British Isles and Northern France. Her opponents are therefore driven to frame retaliatory measures loud cheers in order, in their turn, to prevent commodities of any kind loud cheers from reaching or leaving the German Empire, renewed cheers. These measures will, however, be enforced by the British and French governments, without risk to neutral ships or to neutral or non-combatant lives, and with strict observance of the dictates of humanity. The British and French governments will therefore hold themselves free to detain and take into port ships carrying goods of presumed enemy destination, ownership, or origin. It is not intended to confiscate such vessels or cargos unless they would be otherwise liable to confiscation. Vessels with cargos which have sailed before the state will not be affected. Loud cheers. That, sir, is our reply. Cheers, I may say, before I comment upon it that the suggestion which I see is put forward from a German quarter that we have rejected some proposal or suggestion made to the two powers by the United States government I will not say anything more than that it is quite untrue. On the contrary, all we have said to the United States government is that we are taking it into careful consideration in consultation with our allies. Now the committee will have observed that in the statement which I have just read of the retaliatory measures we propose to adopt, The words, blockade, and, contraband, and other technical terms of international law do not occur, and advisedly so. In dealing with an opponent who has openly repudiated all the principles both of law and of humanity we are not going to allow our efforts to be strangled in a network of juridical niceties. Cheers. We do not intend to put into operation any measures which we do not think to be effective. Cheers. And I need not say we shall carefully avoid any measure which would violate the rules either of humanity or of honesty. But, subject to those two conditions, I say not only to our enemy, but I say it on behalf of the government, and I hope on behalf of the House of Commons, that under existing conditions there is no form of economic pressure to which we do not consider ourselves entitled to resort. Loud cheers. If, as a consequence, neutrals suffer inconvenience and loss of trade, We regret it, but we beg them to remember that this phase of the war was not initiated by us. Cheers. We do not propose either to assassinate their semen or to destroy their goods. What we are doing we do solely in self-defense. If, again, as is possible, hardship is caused to the civil and non-combatant population of the enemy by the cutting off of supplies. We are not doing more in this respect than was done in the days when Germany still acknowledged the authority of the law of nations sanctioned by the first and the greatest of her chancellors, and as practiced by the express declaration of his successor, we are quite prepared to submit to the arbitrament of neutral opinion in this war in the circumstances in which we have been placed, we have been moderate and restrained, and we have abstained from things which we were provoked and tempted to do, and we have adopted the policy which recommends itself to reason. Common sense, and to justice, this new aspect of the war only serves to illustrate and to emphasize the truth that the gravity and the magnitude of the task which we have undertaken does not diminish, but increases, as the months roll by. The call for men to join our fighting forces, which is our primary need, has been and is being nobly responded to here at home and throughout the empire. That call, we say with all plainness and directness, was never more urgent or more imperious than today. For this is a war not only of men but of material. To take only one illustration, the expenditure upon ammunition on both sides has been on a scale and at a rate which is not only without all precedent but is far in excess of any expert forecast. At such a time patriotism has cast a heavy burden on the shoulders of all who are engaged in trades or manufactures which directly or indirectly minister to the equipment of our forces. It is a burden, let me add, which falls, or ought to fall would even wait on both employers and employed. Cheers. Differences as to a remuneration or as to profit, as to hours and conditions of labor, which in ordinary times might well justify a temporary cessation of work should no longer be allowed to do so. The first duty of all concerned is to go on producing with might and main what the safety of the state requires. Cheers. And if this is done I can say with perfect confidence the government on its part will ensure a prompt and equitable settlement of disputed points and in cases of proved necessity will give on behalf of the state such help as is in their power. Cheers! Sailors and soldiers, employers and workmen in the industrial world are all at this moment partners and company operators in one great enterprise. The men in the shipyards and the engineering shops, the workers in the textile factories, the miner who sends the coal to the surface, the dockyard laborer who helps to load and unload the ships. And those who employ and organize and supervise their labors are one and all rendering to their country a service as vital and as indispensable as the gallant men who line the trenches in Flanders or in France or who are bombarding fortresses in the Dardanelles. Cheers. I hear sometimes whispers, hardly more than whispers, of possible terms of peace. Peace is the greatest human good. But this is not the time to talk of peace. Those who talk of peace, however excellent their intentions, are in my judgment victims. I will not say of wanton, but of grievous self-delusion. Just now we are in the stress and tumult of a tempest which is shaking the foundations of the earth. The time to talk of peace is when the great tasks in which we and our lives embarked on the long and stormy voyage are within sight of accomplishment. Speaking at the Guildhall at the Lord Mayor's Banquet last November I used this language, which has since been repeated almost in the same terms by the Prime Minister of France and which I believe represents the settled sentiment and purpose of the country. I said, we shall never sheath the sword which we have not lightly drawn until Belgium recovers in full measure all and more than she has sacrificed, until France is adequately secured against the menace of aggression, until the rights of the smaller nationalities of Europe are placed upon an unassailable foundation, and until the military domination of Prussia is wholly and finally destroyed. Cheers. What I said early in November. Now after four months, I repeat today, we have not relaxed nor shall we relax in the pursuit of everyone and all of the aims which I have described, these are great purposes, and to achieve them we must draw upon all our resources, both material and spiritual, on the one side, the material side, the demands presented in these votes is for men, for money, for the fullest equipment of the purposes of war, on the other side, what I have called the spiritual side, The appeal is to those ancient inbred qualities of our race which have never failed us in times of stress qualities of self-mastery, self-sacrifice, patience, tenacity, willingness to bear one another's burdens, a unity which springs from the dominating sense of a common duty, and failing faith, inflexible resolve, loud cheers, Sweden's Scandinavian leadership by a Swedish political expert from the New York Times, February 4, 1915. In common with a majority of the other countries of Europe, Sweden has had a full measure of experience in the difficulties confronting neutral powers while a world struggle like the present European conflict is in progress, and has learned that, even if it may prove effective in averting bloodshed, neutrality does not by any means ensure a nation against the other vicissitudes of war. Aside from operations of a purely military character, the groups of belligerent powers are carrying on a commercial warfare of constantly increasing intensity. It is characteristic, perhaps, that both parties to the struggle, as time goes on, appear to become more and more indifferent to the injury incidentally inflicted on neutral countries, geographically situated so that it might provide easy transit for shipments both to Russia and to the German Empire. Sweden, as a matter of course, has become the object of lively interest to both groups of warring nations in their dual concern of securing advantages to themselves and placing obstacles in the way of the enemy from the very beginning. However, Sweden has maintained an attitude of strictest neutrality and of loyal impartiality toward both sides in the struggle. It is the object of this article to set forth as briefly as possible the manner in which the neutrality of Sweden has been made manifest. Immediately after the war broke out in August last year the Swedish government proclaimed its intention to remain neutral throughout the conflict. Simultaneous action was taken by the government for the strengthening of the country's defences in the firm conviction that only if there was behind it the armed strength with which to enforce it would the neutrality of Sweden be respected. A move of the most profound significance the first in our endeavors to create in Scandinavia a neutral, center, and to gird ourselves with a greater strength to make our peaceful intentions effective was made on August 8th of last year. When the foreign ministers of Sweden and Norway appeared in the representative assemblies of both peoples and delivered identically worded explanatory communications in which was embodied a statement to the effect that the Swedish and Norwegian governments had agreed to maintain their neutrality throughout the war at any cost and that the two governments had exchanged mutually binding and satisfactory assurances with a view to preventing any situation growing out of the state of war in Europe from precipitating either country into acts of hostility directed against the other. In the meantime, neutral commerce and shipping during the months that followed were exposed to most serious infringements by the warring powers, such as the closing of ports by mines, limitations in the rights of neutral shipping to the use of the sea League and of other established routes of maritime trade arbitrary broadening in the definition of what shall constitute contraband of war and see as an instance it may be stated that england for a time treated magnetic iron ore as contraband of war and that germany still persists in so regarding certain classes of manufactured wood in both these instances swedish exports have suffered severely on initiative taken by the swedish government in the middle of last november the governments of sweden denmark and Norway lodged identically worded protests with the envoys of certain of the powers engaged in the war against measures taken by them which threaten serious disturbance to neutral traffic. Illustration, Sir Percy Scott British Admiral, who asserted before the war began that the submarine had sounded the death knell of the dreadnought photo from Rogers' illustration, General Louis Bodha the famous Boer leader, Premier of the Union of South Africa. Now commanding the British South African forces photo from Paul Thompson one further step of the utmost importance through what it accomplished toward establishing firmly the position of the neutral states in the north was the meeting between the kings of Sweden, Norway, and Denmark at Malmo on December 19th, last. This meeting was especially designed to provide an opportunity for taking counsel together regarding means which may be resorted to for the purpose of limiting and counteracting the economical difficulties imposed on the three countries through the war. The meeting at Malmo served not only to give most powerful expression to the common determination of the northern kingdoms to remain neutral but it became the means also of agreeing upon and adopting a modus vivendi for continued company operation between the three countries during the war for the protection of interests they had in common. In this manner Sweden has led in a movement to establish for the northern countries a potential policy of neutrality with the practical aim of limiting and reducing to a minimum the economical difficulties consequent upon the existing state of war. From what already has been said it appears clearly. How completely without justification have been the accusations which have been voiced from time to time in the press of countries that enter into either of the belligerent groups that Sweden, now in one respect and now in another, had shown partiality to the adversary, thus, suspicion has been cast, with no justification whatever, on the circumstance that during the last month Sweden has imported large quantities of necessaries which would have been both valuable and helpful to the belligerents, and yet, this increase in the Swedish imports is very readily explained on the ground that it was necessary, partly, in order to make up for an existing shortage in supplies due to stop traffic during the first months of the war, and, partly, to ensure ability to fill Swedish demands for some time to come. A country which desires to remain neutral is not in a position to submit to dictation from any of the belligerent nations. But this very thing is frequently interpreted by one party to a struggle as involving an understanding with the other, but Sweden's peaceful resolve and her fixed determination to maintain her life as a nation against all attempts at encroachment would count for little if behind her a word there did not exist the strength to make it good and material resources to fall back on when the demand comes, that these exist in Sweden will be shown in the following with some data of Sweden's economics, with a population of 5.70.000 distributed over an area of 448.000 square kilometers, 170.977 square miles, as compared with 9.415.000 square kilometers March 2nd 600 square miles in the United States. Sweden, in comparison with European countries in general, is very sparsely inhabited. The possibilities for growth and development, however, are great owing to natural resources which are both rich and varied of Sweden's area 40.0000 square kilometers 15.266 square miles is cultivated land the value of the annual production of grain is estimated at about area code 340000000 000 000 000 kroner about area code 919000000 000 000 offset by an import of grain which exceeds the export by about area code 70000000, 000, 000, 000 kroner, about area code 18900000. 000, From this it appears that agriculture as yet retains its place as the principal industry of the country, with the bigger half of the country's area timber and the rivers well adapted to a logging. Sweden quite naturally has become one of the foremost countries in the world in the export of lumber, wood pulp, and manufactured wood, another natural product of Sweden, and one of the utmost importance, is iron ore, of which there was exported in 1913 to the value of about area code 690000000 kroner, about area code 185000000, chiefly from the large mineral fields in the northernmost part of the country, besides this production of raw material. Sweden has important manufacturing industries which thrive as a result of the abundant supply of water power, an extensive network of railroads, and a shipping industry which is in a state of flourishing development. The total output of our Swedish industries mining, not included in 1912, was appraised at a net manufacturing value of 1. Area code 778 0 Kroner. About area code 481 Of this total. Area code 476 0 Kroner about area code 128-600-000, represents foodstuffs and luxuries. Area code 353 0 Kroner about area code 95-400-000, wood products. And C. Dot. Area code 222, 000, 000, 000 Kroner area code 60000000 000 000 000, Textile products and so on. A few figures will illustrate Sweden's exchange of products with foreign countries. In 1912 the foreign trade of Sweden reached a total of 1. Area code 554 0, 000, 000 Kroner. About area code 420000000 000 000 000 the imports aggregated area code 794-0000-000 Kroner about area code 214600000 and the exports area code 760-0000-000 Kroner about area code 205400000 Thus showing a relatively advantageous trade balance of the imported values 28% was foodstuffs and luxuries. raw materials, and 26%, articles manufactured either wholly or in part, of the exports, 14%, was foodstuffs and luxuries, 23%, raw materials, and not less than 63%, articles of manufacture, finished completely or in part, the principal industrial products represented among these exports are enumerated here, Kroner Wood Products 1, Area Code nine one two zero 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 Area Code 516,700,000, Pulp and Paper Area Code 134,000,000, 000, 000, Area Code 36,000,000, 000, 000, Metal Products Area Code 105,000,000, 000, 000, Area Code 28,400,000, 000, 000, Machinery Area Code 5600,000, 000, 000 area code 15, 0 matches area code 16, 0, 000 4.300.000 000, 000, pottery products area code 15, 000, 000, 000, 0 with regard to our exports there have been especially large increases in those of pulp and machinery The principal types of machinery which figure among the exports of Sweden are milk separators, oil motors, telephone apparatus, electric engines, and ball bearings. In these exports are plainly indicated the inventive genius of the Swedes and their aptitude for technical and industrial pursuits. With reference to the Swedish railroads, this fact is deserving of mention, Sweden leads all Europe with 2.5 kilometers to each 1.000 inhabitants. United States has 4.14 kilometers. The mercantile Marine of Sweden has experienced powerful growth in recent years. In 1912, with a net tonnage of 805.000, it held the sixth place among the merchant fleets of Europe, being ahead of, among other countries, Spain, Russia, and the Netherlands. Especially has the growth in Sweden's merchant marine been pronounced since 1904, when the first regular ocean lines with Swedish vessels were established. Today Swedish steamship lines are maintaining regular traffic with all parts of the world. Thus, among other things, Sweden has established freight lines, with steamers plying to both the east and west coasts of North America. Quite recently, despite the financial crisis brought on by the war, a company has been formed with the object of establishing passenger traffic with Swedish steamships of high speed between Gothenburg and either New York or Boston. After scrutinizing these figures the reader ought not to be surprised at the assertion that Sweden is exceptionally well situated from an economical point of view, and, perhaps, is among the countries which have been least affected by the economical crisis consequent upon the war, the national debt of Sweden, which was created very largely with a view to financing the construction of the government railroads and for other productive purposes is at present only area code 720 000, 000, 0 kroner. About area code 194 500 000, 0 This is only 126 kroner a small fraction above 34 for each inhabitant. While the corresponding figure for France in 1913 was 591 kroner. Nearly 160, the Netherlands. 282 kroner. 70.62, Great Britain. 280 kroner, 70.57, Germany. 276 kroner, 70.40, Italy. 270 kroner, 70.30, NC. Against the national debt of area code 7200000. 000, 000, 000, kroner about area code 194 000, 0 Sweden has crown assets at this time appraised at 1. Area code 761-00000. 000, 000, 000, kroner net. Nearly area code 476-000000. 000, 000, 000. Another evidence of the splendid financial condition of Sweden is afforded in the fact that. Since the war broke out and countries which under normal conditions might be looked to for loans had closed their markets to foreign nations, the domestic market has been able to supply fully all, both public and private, demands for funds. Thus, when the Swedish government, early last October, sought a loan of area code 3000000000 kroner at home, this was fully subscribed in three days. Nor have municipalities or private banks encountered any difficulty in placing bonds for amounts of considerable size in the domestic market. The only loan for which the Swedish government has contracted abroad during the crisis was for 5.000.000, and this was placed in New York for the purpose of facilitating payments for large purchases of American grain. At least a few words with particular reference to the commercial intercourse between Sweden and the United States. According to statistics from the year 1912, the imports of Sweden from the United States were of the aggregate value of area code 6000000 000 000 000 kroner, about area code 16200000, while the exports aggregated area code 32000000 000 000 kroner, about 8.600.000. The principal imports were cotton. Area code 1700000 000 000 000 kroner about 4.600.000 000 000, oils. Area code 1200000 000 000 kroner about 3.240.000 copper. 6.200.000 kroner about 1.675.000 machinery. 5.000.000 kroner about 1.350.000 grain and flour 2.300.000 kroner about 621.000 bacon 1.700.000 kroner about 460.000 the principal articles of export in the same year were pulp, area code 12400000 kroner about 3.350.000 manufactured iron and steel 8.100.000 kroner about 2.200.000 iron ore 3.600.000 kroner about 973.000 paper 2.100.000 kroner about 568.000 elastic gum refuse 1.900.000 kroner about 514.000, matches, 1.300.000 kroner. about 350.000. Since the outbreak of hostilities in August last year there has been a tremendous increase in trade between Sweden and the United States. The tonnage employed in this trade has been multiplied many times in order adequately to care for the traffic. Sweden has sought to secure in the United States a multiplicity.